when 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 I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. 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 Back. Welcome back. Yes, let's go. Master Key Season 2, Episode 26. This is officially the halfway point of the year. I said wow. we we're almost at the halfway point, but 26 weeks in, it's like, Start so what have summer. you done? What have you done in 2022? Are you happy with it? Are you not happy with it? We used to talk a lot about goal setting and stuff. We don't talk about it as much anymore. I was thinking that today as I was coming in that we need to do another episode on that. I don't know. If, I think we should. Yeah, maybe now. Now that we have a bit more viewership, we did that near the start. But before we dive into everything, Master Keys Podcast, I'm Neil Andrino. I'm Chandler Halliburton. Don't forget, press that button down there. No one's commented whether or not they've changed the the ring or not. I know. Well, check I would like button. to say you've been pressing the subscribe thingy, so appreciate that, oh, everybody. Yeah. You guys have been subscribing and following. Um, but yeah, Master Keys Podcast, it's a podcast about real estate. It's about investing. We are not financial advisors, but we give you our opinion on what's going on, uh, especially on the real estate market, but everything in general and some, some fun news of what we're doing and what's going on out there. We are also, contrary to some popular belief on the, the socials, we're not necessarily, we don't have that big of a vested interest in some of these outcomes um, I mean, that's not totally true, but people assume <laughs> we feel one way or the other about a topic that's going on. We're just genuinely, genuinely trying to report. This is what's going on. Take it for what it is. If you don't like it, um, that's not our concern. I don't know. I don't uh, know that's where I'm at. I determined last episode that Chandler might be a sellout. I think he might be getting paid out by somebody. <laughs> oh, the bank? Well, who did you, who did you think I was getting paid out by again? The Bank of Canada? I think it was the Bank of Canada. I was, was like, slipping Chandler some money on the side. Fine. I am for sale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, and I'll, and I'll say everybody's got a price. This is our opinion. No, you and are, man. By no means are we perfectly right or correct. We're just giving it from a point of being fairly like, invested in the market in multiple different ways, right? Like owning real estate, buying and selling real estate. So we kind of get a different feel from all all angles. Yeah, everything we come at is certainly uh, from that perspective. But um, yeah, man, let's. Uh, what are we, so today we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to go over the news as it continues to evolve and change. Uh, there's more job loss. Is, is kind of one of the headings that I've got. I was yep. very critical always of these people who've been clamoring for this great reset. Well, yep. here she comes. You know, enjoy these layoffs. Yep. Um, hold this L, as the kids say. Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk a, a lot about that. Uh, we're going to just continue to to dive into interest rates, but. We're also going to talk about um, whether or not buyers are... are Sorry. <laughs> you like that, eh? Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about buyers and are buyers getting greedy now? Because there's been this mm-hmm. narrative for two and a half years that sellers are getting greedy, sellers are getting greedy. Now there's some buyers like, is this a great buying opportunity? Maybe. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can revisit the interest rate because uh, we were... I would say that's it. pretty top of mind for anyone that's listening to this podcast is... I love... Oh, Sorry. actually, yeah, I got to open this. Chanley's pointing at it right now. Yeah. If you listen to the last He's episode. He's underlined. And if you didn't listen, we, we got in a bit of a battle at the end of the episode. Uh, if you didn't listen to that episode, go back and listen to it. If you got tight on time, go near near the end, probably about 20 minutes from the end. Chandler and I had a little bit of a debate regarding fixed or variable mortgages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had a different opinion on them. Um, and the example that Chandler used when responding, he he went with, variable i said fixed and that's not for every situation but the situation that we were talking about Mm -hmm. the example that chandler used he was throwing out some pretty heavy interest rates for fixed opportunities and it just so happened that i had two clients this week that signed five-year fixed mortgages are trying to decide on signing a Mm five-year fix and they came in almost a percentage well over a percentage point lower than what we <laughs> had thought on on the show and I did pull some I did pull up Google and I did search on ratehub.ca ratehub holla uh, but 
they showed some low rates. Chandler called me out for using a phony site. And it just so <laughs> happens that now I have some rates from the big boys like RBC BMOs to regular people that are doing construction and renovations to their homes. And they are coming in at a five-year fix of 3.94. So just throwing it out there, there is still a big spread between yeah. fi- variable and fixed. And again, I think what we really boiled out of that being is it's, it's a very situation-dependent thing. Like it yeah, depends on what you're doing with the money and what your risk tolerance is and where you think your income's going. Should also say, so I heard of one as well that was being offered fixed five year at 3.1 and then a variable <coughs> being offered at prime minus a full point. So which would be 2.7. Um, Chandler's sinking his own ship. I'm not, I'm not at all sinking my own ship. <laughs> Here's, I think, another thing that is incredibly important, and, and Neil selectively leaves this out. Um, you're talking about new money. Yeah. If you're going out there getting new money today, mm-hmm. and I love it how you have this romantic idea of like people can just like, oh, you know, I'm just going to take my variable here and just opt in to the best available fixed rate out there in the market. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't quite work that way, no, dude. No, it doesn't. Right? No, like doesn't. if you have a variable product with your lender, when you switch to fixed, you're switching to that lender's best fixed rate. And newsflash, it's not going to be this one. Well, you can and switch or, banks. You or can switch you banks. have to refinance and switch banks. You and in Neil's banks. magical world, they're going to waive the penalty. Well, they're going to waive the appraisal. They're going to waive all these things in Neil's magical world. And you're going to go no. and you're going to go and get this new new if mortgage. You, and uh, and I'm sure the appraisal is going to go absolutely swimmingly. Right? The Well, it depends on how far you're trying to go with the money. <laughs> If you're if you're renewing it to current bank, your appraisal is not going to be the same thing. So the appraisal is irrelevant, really. The amount's going to stay the same. But if you're renewing it at your, at, at, um, your same bank, you're not getting. And it right. I bet you, if you go to a new bank, a lot of them will be willing to cover some of the cost. Well, they'll cover all the costs for their end, so there'll be no cost for them to sign up. And if anything, they'll even cover penalties for you to switch over to them. They're giving stuff out all the time to bring people over, like five. Even right now, I just got the email from TD. They're giving you five hundred. Smash box. the comments if you've I'm ever switched you right banks now. and have them cover your mortgage penalty from the other bank. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and smash it. Well, I have to wait till this comes <laughs> out, then I'm going to go ahead and smash it because they've done it for me before. I've got iPads and computers and the whole works. They'll this do all guy. sorts of shit to get you over there. So yeah. it goes, there's, there is options though. If you stay, like it's never as simple, it's not as simple as just doing it. You would have to then go through the whole process. It can be dragged out. It will take longer to get your funds. And listen, if, if, if I'm being totally transparent, I had a client approach me with literally that exact scenario and I go, I was I was on the fence. Yeah. And I was like, man, if that 3.94 um, was like a three year, I'd be like, hell yeah, take it. Mm. The, the fact that it's a five year, I do feel 24 months from now, rates are going to start coming back down. But man, this is the, this is the other thing that's going on. 3.9, for, for getting for a second, our conversation, 3.9 so is a good rate. That's so if you're listening thing. to this right now and you're thinking about, oh gosh, do I enter the market now? Do I not? If you're looking at new money, um, that is a, a sexy rate. I would say when I signed my first mortgage at 3%, 3.8 or something, I was like, holy crap, money is so cheap. Man. And now we're like 3.94. I can't imagine borrowing I, money I can, at this I can rate. I almost remember them vividly. 4.69. I locked it in because I thought it'd never be lower. 4.39. Yeah. 4.19. 3.99. Mm-hmm. 3.69. Mm-hmm. 3.19. And these were like, I locked them in every time because I could not believe that it, it was this low. We had a blip that was really, really low that was like un, unheard of. And now we've just kind of gotten used to it over. It took us, what, two years? And we're like, now we think that all money should be at this rate. But by contrast, that's a decade ago. You know, I'm dating myself here, showing my age. You know, that, that was a decade ago. Uh, and, and purchase prices weren't the same. So I'm not saying it's it's apples to apples. Like these, this is a different thing. But grand scheme, 
that is a pretty good rate. So yeah. I will concede that if you're looking for new money, especially, um, that's a pretty pretty sweet fixed rate. I'm trying to figure out, um, and I, I wish, I mean, I'd love to bring on like a really, really high up um, banking economist to say what- if Someone c- has one. Yeah, yeah. Please. What can we deduce from lenders offering that? Because we all know, a bank is going to only offer you something that they think they make more money off of. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, which is also an argument for going variable because they build in a cushion on their fixed products a little bit mm-hmm. um, and trade you off the predictability. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious about the time that they're offering that for five years. Like what are, did you look up what the three years were? Uh, they, I, they did show me the three year. I think it was 3.55. 3.5. This was 3.94 on a five-year fix. And then, well, actually, I have it written down. I have it written down. They sent me the picture. 3.5. Like, that's really hot. It's free money. I don't know why everyone's not just doing fixed. <laughs> Look, <laughs> even guy. Chandler wants to do fixed now. 3.55 for three years is like yeah, a really yeah. good three, period. Jesus. Three-year fix, 3.55. Four-year fix, 3.84. Five-year fix, 3.94. And this is on reno money. This is not even like... This is renovation money. Like it's not like this is more expensive. And this money is residential for anyone out there commercially. That's this know, is a residential renovation because we're so excited by those rates. Yeah, <laughs> it is not not no commercial, commercial money. But yeah. this is so this is uh, a residential renovation, a substantial renovation to a home, and the bank is extending money to do it to for for a self build too for a self build. Yeah, uh, this also relates a little bit to you know perception being reality and what's the big narrative out there because man. That's a pretty damn good rate. You know, to what you were saying, and this is it'd be good to bring somebody on. And again, it's, the bankers are really making their best estimate because I was saying this like I went out for lunches maybe four months ago with a couple fairly large bankers in this city. Um, and they were like, yeah, I think by the end of the year, it'll, it'll cool off and we should be good. And now I went out with them a week ago and like, I think this is an 18 to 24 month thing. And so they're making their best deduction based on what they know. And they know mm-hmm. a little bit further in advance than we do, but they really also aren't being Well, they're taking to, direction from the top, too. Like, they're, they're not out there, exactly. like, reading the numbers. No offense to, like, the local-level bankers. But but they're taking their direction from and where there's people paid a lot of money to to predict this stuff. Um, yeah. But they obviously their predictions are still wrong because yeah. these banks that go belly up, they make massive plays that lose them yeah. tons of money. And so that's why I'm like, it's still always, like, a... I'm a big like question everything person if everyone hasn't realized that yet. And so I'm just always like trying to gauge based on what I see. You know, the other thing I was going to say as well, I chat with some people that went through the old 18%, 20% interest rates. And I was like, what were they before? And they were like, it was like 6%. So they cranked it up 14% to cool it off because they couldn't get a hold of inflation. And some of my points I have here is where, again, where some of my concerns lie is like, they're still pumping money into the economy, which is still pumping inflation. And so if they're cranking the interest rates at the same time, like it's, you know what I mean? They're taking from one hand to defeat the other and it's going to kind of just keep ripping up. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're waiting for the next inflation numbers to come out here and they should come out for, gosh, they should come out for May any day now. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think. Um, and they're going to come out right before, the Bank of Canada meets on July 13th. We're going to get a rate hike. We're going to get the new home prices. We're, we're going to get the inflation numbers, and it's going to be an interesting day. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be uh, – that. that's three weeks from now. Mid, Mid-July, mid we'll have a, a, another really Bali. good read of what's going on. Um, to I, that. I, guess, I guess I just always wonder, like, okay, if the bank is saying this is what we're willing to offer you for the next five years, 
what does that tell us about what they think is going to happen? Yeah, that's what I was saying right? last time. Um, but I like that three-year. And again, Do you want me to ask if she can give you the money? What's that? Do you want me to ask if she can hook you up? Honestly? <laughs> well, here we go. Like, I also am not buying right now. Um, <laughs> but just because I'm exhausted and running out of money. Uh, what's new with you? What's going on? Uh, nothing. I'm just fear-mongering at home every day. Um, <laughs> no, n- nothing, nothing too crazy. I think, oh, you know, one thing I think we should announce, and we kind of talked about it, but we joined ventures to create a real estate. Team. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure if we were going to do some sort of big hoopla for that. I think we are going to do a big hoopla, but I think this is like a quick introduction and be people to kind of stay tuned in the next coming few weeks. We're going to have an introduction, but we are doing a real estate team together to handle commercial and residential transactions in HRM. You know what we're going to do? We're going to throw a party. We should throw a party. Catalina Wine Mixer. We're going to do it. <laughs> uh, prestige Worldwide. Uh, yeah. No, we're going to do something because I think it'll also be a good time to get uh, the community together. So if you're listening to this, if you're if you're digging it, like we're going to have a little something. Yeah. You guys come to that. And we'll maybe tie that into the release of uh, MKR Group, which is yeah. our real estate company. And if you are out there and you're thinking of buying and selling, here it is. This is a full, full promo. And you like our content and and you believe in what we have to say, give us a show because we are taking on new clients and uh, MKR group, man, that's, that's what we're doing. Master Keys Realty Group, kind of a a separate, but you know. We'll talk about it more, but the the group's whole intent is to give you the best possible service, the highest level of knowledge uh, and get you through the actual best deal, whether it's getting you the best price as a seller or the best price as a buyer and making an educated decision. So you're not just kind of making the decision on your own. You have the advice from professionals and and a team of professional where it's it's information and data and analysis based and service based as opposed to just uh you know yeah. maybe more traditional sales pitch. anyway now the here or there but yeah that's that's exciting news that is exciting news I'd say that's one of the bigger items that I've honestly I've been working on in the background you have been too um, again I am pumping the brakes on purchasing I'm reviewing deals I'm reviewing old deals but I'm just so hesitant because again meeting at the bank two days ago they said look we just did. Two takeouts, 67%. I'm like, oh, God. And like 8% on a takeout, pretty much at any value, 8% times even 500 grand is $40,000. That's like the difference between walking out with money or not walking out with money. (sighs) And so I'm just really pumping the brakes. I'm like, I don't want to be in a position. Before, to be honest, I was playing very risky in the sense that if I knew I had a takeout coming three months down the line because I knew what my 75% was, I was basically pre-spending it if the deal came up. Mm-hmm. And it was working out because rates always went down, rents are going up, projects are moving along, on and on and on. Now I would I don't have that risk tolerance because mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know that I'm going to get the takeout on the end. Mm-hmm. I'll be able to cover probably my construction costs because I made sure I bought properties with enough lift to do so. Yeah. But I don't know that I'm going to be able to... And it doesn't matter what your appraisal is. Like your appraisal... You can appraise for yeah. $400 million... But it is, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, but if it's, your debt service is not there, hundred percent. You if you can't service the debt with your rents, so if you have something that's a four percent cap rate, you're not going to service those debts. They're not going to lend you the money. Like you now need to be at about a six and a quarter. To, I find to get your full seventy five percent out. This is why, and that's going to go up yeah. another seventy five basis points. And the only way you can get that valuation up, and or or your takeout value up is to have really good cash flow. And so the question, obviously, for people out there who are renting is, what can I expect from my rent over the next little while? Well, 
We're still going to keep bringing people in, even though we talked a lot about that program that they're axing down to kind of slow the adoption of uh, permanent residents. Yeah. But they're still looking to bring in like five grand people provided they have certain certain skills. Which is huge. It's like a 1% growth every year, which, yeah. which is big. Um, all of these interest rates have crushed new development. That's yeah. going to grind to an absolute halt. So there's not going to be any more units coming on. And as everything gets more expensive, you know, even as price as houses come down, it's crushed uh, new home inventory too. Yeah, yeah. Like there are some people who are, you know, may see an opportunity where they can buy uh, as opposed to renting. Uh, but I saw an article come out the other day that said, you know, right now, the change has happened where renting is actually cheaper than owning for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, the question is though is like that is going to drive some pressure on rental prices. Yep. Lack of inventory, more people still coming, um, harder to build new product, everything going up in, in cost. Literally everything is pointing like, towards an upwards the, the sad push reality on this rent. Is this is an upward push on rent. And single family rents, and this is single family, this isn't apartments, but you know, things things move together. Single family rents in the States last night or not, not last month, were reported as being up 14% year over year. This which is May is, versus May. Which is insane. Like, I know and that's over a whole year, but a single family rents are probably an average of like 15 to 1800, right? So those are bigger rents. Yeah. So it's, it's huge. I mean, in Canada, it's probably 2200. Uh, those are the big, big rent numbers. And that one, I think, is like you said, so apartment construction has been nuked. Home construction is going to get nuked for two reasons. Buyers are also not going to be approved to be able to buy those homes. So even if the oh, builders, yeah, yeah, even if yeah. the builders are building them, they can't sell them. Like funny enough, I was looking through some of the new neighborhoods here, and now they have listings. Like there's a there's there's like three or four new homes available on the street, mm-hmm. which is hasn't happened in two years. It's always been there's one house. They have no model yeah, and home, like, and then they switch to like we're not going to pre-sell you anything. We're going to wait till it's built to sell the top of the market. Now they're like, ah, yeah. damn it. Maybe we should have pre-sold this back. And now, exactly. Know. And now they're sitting on three or four of them. And so without those being purchased, it's not going to allow for more inventory to be there to again take off that pressure. Because even a lot of people will buy a sec, like their new home and keep their old one and rent it. And they, like, so those, like it's just, it's doubling down. This is a, again, a unique situation where we have such an inventory crisis combined with inflation that the impact of interest rates is going to have, I think a different impact than it usually does. And it might, might actually save some values. So if you're an owner, it can help protect some of your values uh, or some of the value in your property because there's such an inventory crisis. We also, and people aren't going to like hearing this, but we have a fairly socialist federal government. So mm-hmm. they're doing all these things with interest rates, but unless the Fed like cuts off some of the spending, yeah, and there are a lot of people who hate Trudeau in the comments, a lot of people who... Uh, you know, maybe support some of these things. I'm not saying whether or not they're right or wrong, but if the government, like government expenditure is part of aggregate demand, as long as they keep spending money, they're going to put inflationary pressure on. Like that is just economic fact. I'm not saying if it's right or wrong, but as people start to struggle, what are they going to do? They're going to roll out all this government spending, which again goes back to the point where the biggest issue we have in all of this is aggregate supply. And until oil comes down and wheat comes down and construction costs and shipping and China opens up, none of this is going to move the needle on inflation that much. Because here's another little example. So a lot of people are shifting their money to the U.S. right now. Yeah. And so the U.S. dollar is rising, which makes the Canadian dollar less, which means we're exporting more. Yep. Right. And all of a sudden, if we are a 
you know, improve our next net export, that also shifts aggregate demand. Like, so all these things are inflationary pressures, and we just keep hammering the interest rate, hoping that's going to do enough to offset it. I'm not convinced that it is. Which but. is what is what's risky, right? Like you keep hammering that interest rate, and it's going to cause it, it gets to a point where that's why I'm like afraid they're going to take it too far. And like to double down on what you're saying, on June 16th, the Fed said to help Canadians that are struggling pay their rent, they're going to give them a one-time payment of five hundred dollars, and this is a part of their housing affordability program. And I'm I'm like, what yeah. is the value of giving them five hundred dollars in 2022? That's going to help them pay one month's rent, if that. But it's another injection of $500 million into the economy. So it still has that inflationary pressure. And it actually, it's like, again, this is where I'm like, it's a political move because it's going to give you an immediate like, oh, my God, I got $500. But it's actually more negative than good because that money is going to instantly be gone. And it's going to cause inflationary pressure that long run is actually going to cost the person more than $500. And that is the very, and I'm not saying it's an easy balance. Like That is a very, very, very tricky balance to be like, oh, my gosh, you know, the thing you need right now is just 500 bucks. Like the people that need that 500 bucks. But the reason they need it is because we printed a bunch of money, which caused a bunch of inflation. So now they can't afford anything. So right. the solution being print more money is factually the wrong move. But I understand <laughs> wanting to do it. This is why I got, the only thing I forgot that I kind of left out is they put in there. It's to help reduce the impacts of inflation, which I kind of thought was hilarious because they're printing $500 million to give out to help reduce the impact of inflation. But that is what is causing the inflation. It's like it's yeah. like if like everyone's addicted to cigarettes. Again, and they then keep they're hammering. It's like it's like vapes. They put out vapes to help people off of cigarettes, and now everyone's even more addicted to cigarettes. Yeah, they actually got the, they got the young generation hooked on cigarettes. They were losing them. Tobacco sales were going down. They put out vapes, made it cool again, made everyone better and healthy to help people that are already addicted. <laughs> and now everyone's made hooked it on cool it. Cool again. No, seriously, that's what they did because it was yeah, kind of when I see someone vape, vaping, I think, damn, he's cool. <laughs> but I know what you mean. Okay. I know what you mean. All right, all right, all right. It's very like kid friendly. <laughs> I think yeah. I just hit a. Uh, yeah. um, Neil's looking for that vape sponsor. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say I got the big vape that shoots uh, a ton of smoke. No, really? Oh, no, cool. I've never vaped. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. It, and I'm not saying these are easy decisions that our federal government is, is having to make, and, and even here at a provincial le- level. But this is why. Why don't they just build a ton of housing? Is so. Why don't they just build a shitload of housing? Or, They've or, been talking or remove, about this? Or remove some of the taxes on oil. Like, so, or figure a way to get... get. And I know that's a complicated thing, so I'm not trying to be reductive bring, on that. Bring but. some industry in town, right? Bring some... <laughs> which I, so I heard they're bringing some... They're starting to drill again offshore Newfoundland. And apparently drill, there's some potential some big discoveries, which would have a huge impact yeah, on that's Halifax BP, right? here locally. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know our harbor gets busy. It's teeming with support vessels for all the rigs. Uh, our helicopter terminals get crazy because they're shipping people back and forth every day materials back and forth the ships are moving materials i am super hopeful they bring that back and it's weird because literally two years ago i watched the oil rigs get pulled through this harbor and decommissioned and so anyways as long if they're bringing them back i'll be super happy it's a bunch of high paying jobs professionals even like regular like lower paying jobs like there's so many benefits to it yeah um if you try to read read the implication of that that's bp saying that they think oil prices are going to be high for a while Right. I, that's what I, I think it is. I was actually chatting with some people last night about this as well. And yeah, I think it's a mixture of like expectation of oil prices remaining high. But if there is an economic collapse, it's going to take a beating on oil because demand's going to nuke. Um, but in general, I think the cost, the price is higher than the cost of production by a fair amount, even if it does pull back. Um, they might also be banking on some of the sentiment of like, you know, maybe people are going to move away from Russian oil. Like maybe. 
Yeah, there's know, so I, much hanky panky that goes on in the background. Oh like, yeah, it's someone's pe- gonna just be in the business of buying. You think China? You, know, you think China? Oil, China it, made in Canada. Exactly. And reselling you it. think China and India give a crap about mm. buying mm. buying Russian oil? They're they're like this is a great opportunity to buy at a discount. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was that was an interesting one. Also, I saw some gold mining stuff coming online here, which will be good. So I think some industry stuff will hopefully give us help in this crazy time when there is going to be a lot of layoffs. Uh, and we need some security and some some properly high-paying jobs, I'll say. Um, you know what I was thinking about, too, is so just pivoting back to real estate for a second, volume is down, I think, about 25%, like uh, transaction volume. Yep. Not price, transactional volume. <laughs> um, but pricing is also down a little bit. 10. Uh, national average, yeah, for sure. 10 points. For sure. Um, because you know, again, skewed by some some of the suburbs in Toronto and and outside like Vancouver, forty percent down. Overnight. No, their 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 sales are down fifty percent volume, but their pricing is down about fifteen. Um, so I was thinking like that maybe this is just going to fix the economy because there's going to be a bunch of realtors out there just not spending nearly as much money, <laughs> and all these we're going to talk about how like the rental car market is like hard like you cannot find a car to rent yeah but in a couple more months there's going to be a bunch of like white suvs all of a sudden come available of white bmws and a lot of white suvs because that is the realtor car of choice apparently <laughs> uh at least here in halifax so people can be turning those back in taylor drives a black one i drive a black rav4 not a white bright <laughs> mercedes you know, audi mercedes yeah. bmw i'm not saying that they're nice vehicles but it is mine will be on market. I will rent it to you. <laughs> Speaking of which, I, I heard the other day someone rented a car. You know more about this car stuff. So there is a massive shortage of uh, rental cars because there's a yeah. massive shortage of automobiles, period. And it's the chip issue, but it's it's everything. Yeah. And uh, I was talking with someone who's in the know on that stuff. And she said, you know, 2024, that it should get back to normal. Like That's crazy. Um, but... The rental shortage. Someone rented a car for seventy five hundred bucks for one month. Seventy five hundred bucks for pretty one nice, month. Pretty nice house for seventy five hundred. You have a very nice uh, house for seventy five hundred bucks. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's. So, uh, that's I wonder crazy. what they rented. Uh, was the data skewed because it was a weird rental? Like if you go on and rent like a Lamborghini it, off Turo, it's going to be twenty grand for a month. Yeah, it was. Uh, did it say? I don't know. I don't know. I was going to try, make, have, a, was gonna try to make a joke about a funny car. Like it was a Dodge Probe or something, but I, I don't know enough of cars <laughs> to know which one would be funny. Um, um, that is nuts. That is insane. And there's a lot of people Vespa. facing facing that. And I think travel is about to take a beating because like you're saying, rental cars are super expensive. And I know there was a few press releases here of people who own golf courses and in some, in, I think in Lunenburg I saw yep. um, and, and hotels around and cottages. And they're saying, we're getting cancellations, not because of COVID, people not because they can't afford it, because they physically cannot locate a vehicle when they land here to yeah. get to wherever they're going. So mm-hmm. that's like a, a massive impact there. Additionally, the other thing that has had the greatest level of inflation in this last month, airline prices, ticket prices. Oh, yeah? So they're up, I think it was like 30%, something really? insane from about like 30 to 60 days ago. Why? There's massive demand, and then there's oh, yeah, also yeah. the projection that it's going to dry up. Well, it's going to dry up, and fuel costs are through the roof. Yeah, right. And then they're still feeling inflationary pressure on everything they do because they're having to pay their people more. Their insurance costs are up, like everything that's going on there. So they're having to skyrocket their fares to try and make up for this. So between that, um, the lack of uh, rental cars, general 
consumer spending ability once they've had all this inflationary pressure and it continues to go on, I think travel might be in for a, a bit of a beating, which is interesting because I was like, oh, COVID made a great opportunity to buy hotels, motels, and a lot of these things that are beat up. Surprisingly, a lot of them didn't trade at much of a discount because everyone's like, oh, this is a temporary blip. Yeah, and I'll get lift out of it. And I'll right? get so lift I'll out of it. what it is, and yeah. And then the second COVID ends, I'm going to make all my money back. Mm. I'm nervous that there might be a little bit of a of a beatdown on some of these travel-based industry things. Which and is I, a big part of our economy here. Yes, but on the flip side, I do think that the localized travel will do really well. So they get might, might get made up and filled, like cottages and those kinds of rentals might still do really well. Because people are like, look, I can't necessarily afford to go fly to wherever and stay. And it's a big, huge hassle. But I have a car here at home. I'll do a little... What are they called? A little staycation almost. And yeah, do, like do at a like, yurt in Lunenburg or something. Do a yurt in Lunenburg. Not selling anything, but we did post a few posts. If you want to go take a look at those, Chandler has a yurt. Um, but yeah, you want to drive two, three hours and go to something lo- local. So yeah. I think those, like I think it's it's a mixed bag. I think you'll still see some growth on those ends. Um, but maybe maybe the hotels in the downtown area might not be at 100% occupancy like was planned and hoped. I think we'll get through the summer with crazy occupancy levels, but I think it'll drop off. Uh, to follow yeah yeah those kind of bookended markets like which is the spring and the fall that's yeah. where i think we'll we'll get hit but um yeah i don't know if i mentioned what i'm up to but uh i'm a couple weeks away from closing on 12 units really kind of wrap my head about what my strategy is for those units because i don't know if i'm gonna be able to just start ripping them apart and doing the whole turnover um yeah and then uh you got beat up on the loan to value on that too didn't you yeah 62 percent that's crazy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I might just ride that one out through the winter, keep it occupied. Um, hope to that, you know, in finishing my other projects, I, I get decent pullouts on those and, and then start the process. But, um, you know, I'm also, uh, you know, not averse to just kind of buckling down and, and riding it out a little bit. Um, only because, to be honest with you, my, my cash flow situations changed. Right, like all, all, everyone's cash flow situation changed dramatically. Like you're saying, our transactional volumes down 25. percent This is this is the other thing. It's funny. Like everyone, like realtors, had a huge growth in their income, but as prices come down, volume comes down. We feel it just the exact same way, where mm-hmm. it all pulls back, and so we have to plan accordingly and kind of change our plans quickly. It's funny. I have a lot of my colleagues that are like, "Oh, I thought you're doing this. I thought you're doing that. Why do you change so frequently?" And I'm like, "Well, in business." you like there's factors that you don't have control over Mm -hmm. that dictate your business and being able to change quickly and move your business the way it needs to change to meet the market demand or the market conditions is a big part of being successful in business. Yeah. And it's a, it's something you can't avoid. And if you try to ignore it and just be like, I'm just going to power through, that's a very stupid way of doing things. Cause if you just power through and interest rates go up 5%, and then your building no longer services its debt or your business no longer services its debt, you're screwed. Yeah. Right. So you have to be constantly changing and maneuvering and seeing what works. And sometimes you got to take these times to be like, look, I'm going to finish up my projects, clean everything up, clean house, get new systems in place, build a new bigger foundation, sharpen the pencil. Sharpen the pencil yeah. So when I'm ready for the next, the next boom, I'm going to go growth mode like crazy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's also yeah. a time to reflect and take a moment. Like I know you, I'm sure this will give you some more time if you're not in full like crazy growth mode and your, your business a little bit slowed down you can spend more time with the family you can plan and reflect and kind of go over your items yeah we're also coming up on the slumber summer slowdown too right so yeah um all right let's uh let's run through some news because i want to delve into that a bit more because that relates to the idea of 
you know, should buyers be sitting on the sidelines here or are they cutting off their nose to spite their face by passing on some pretty damn good deals out there? Because I've had some situations where I'm looking like, like, man, I don't know. I know we're in uncertain times here, but that could be an opportunity that a buyer regrets not pouncing on in the, in the grand scheme. Right. And it depends on your motivation. Like, are you buying a home just to make a bunch of money or are you buying a home because you want a home over your head? All these things factor into it. Yeah. But there are some good opportunities out there. And I'm not here advertising, but I will concede that that fixed rate of 3.9 is pretty darn good. Chandler um, will sign the document on your behalf. Yeah, I will sign the mortgage. <laughs> no, I will not. Um, but what else is going on in the news? So. A big one for us hyper-locally here in Halifax, and I think, well, it's actually happening everywhere, but Amazon was planning to build a massive warehouse. You texted me this last yeah. night, and I started digging into it. Amazon was planning to build a warehouse. So they bought a warehouse here recently. I think it was yep. 750,000, something enormous. Yeah. Like, it's big. Yeah, whatever. Uh, no, it was 20,000 or 25,000 square feet. Sorry, my bad. Um, and it was about 16 million bucks. Then they went out in Amazon fashion, and I think they probably spent about $20 million turning it into like a tech hub. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. Like I, I, I work just down the street. I have an office down the street and I'm watching the Amazon vehicles and vans yeah. going like crazy. And I know I've been getting my parcels twice as fast and they were going to follow up and we have a new industrial park addition being built right now. And they were going to buy the biggest lot and build a try like a three level, 2 million square foot warehouse, something like insane out of this world. Yep. And this is neat. Amazon's doing multi-level warehousing now because it's robotic. And so you can have like different levels. Like most warehouses were always just single level facilities. And so now they have robots operating on multiple levels so they can actually Crazy. get better utilization out of their land and out of the building space. Huh. Right. So it doesn't, they don't need to have such a massive footprint. Long story short, they put a pause on that build and they've also put a pause on builds around North America. And the reason is, is like, look, we need to be careful. We need to plan for a downturn. We need to watch our payroll just like any other business. They're expanding extremely fast and they got to watch their back and the stock's down. What was it? 37%. And, and shout out to all Nova Scotia who, who published the story. Love all Nova Scotia. So this is uh piggybacking on the reporting. Yeah. Amazon stock is down 37% from its high. Everyone remembers when COVID hit, People went online, were online ordering everything. Yep. And so Amazon did incredibly well. They went big expansion mode. I mean, they were already doing pretty good. Uh, but they really pushed the envelope. And now they're pulling back on projects like these. And when the first um, warehouse came here, like that was viewed as a big win here locally. A big yep. win. And they had to pay people really good wages because there was... It boosted our minimum wage. It literally yeah, did. Big time, big time. And now this expansion was going to be like, wow. You know, this is this is a huge win for the industrial park. It's a huge win for the city. Are they great jobs? I don't know. They're not awesome, but they're good. They like, service a demand that I think is required, and it takes a lot of people out of twelve bucks an hour and takes them into like an eighteen dollar an hour position. Oh, or or, or more. Yeah. Um, with some benefits. So, but they are shuttering or, or or shelving a lot of these plans across North America for these expansions, and it's because like their orders are way down. To what we just talked about business changes and they're seeing where the market demand is changing and that's the thing they got to make quick changes where it's backing out of deals and and axing certain programs because if you keep just spending be like wow it's amazon it's the strength of amazon we're just going to build right through this this pullback they could get caught holding the bag where it's like we're not even getting enough orders to really turn this warehouse on yeah so it's it's a really big one and i think again for us locally it's a huge hit 
And it I is. think across North America, it's a huge hit because Amazon is a, one of the largest employers, I would say, in North America. Like, they are a massive employer. I don't know where they sit on the list, but they probably, they're definitely like the top 50, if not in the top 10. And we know they have a dubious reputation as an employer, but people who have those jobs are still going to, you know, be better off having the job than having no job at all. I think, I think, and on a quick point on that, I think they're dubious simply for the fact that they employ so many, like if you employ 100,000 plus people, there's you're going to, you're going to be some people who don't get bathroom breaks. There's going to be some people who don't get long enough bathroom breaks and decide to take it to the news. And because it's a tech company, it's hot. And also because Jeff Bezos has a hundred billion dollars, it's hot. But like, you know yeah. what I mean? Every, so it's like, I, I, cause I'm sure some people are going to comment like, Amazon's the worst and they're ruining everything. And I'm like, there's still, it was a lot of jobs, man. It's a lot of jobs. jobs. And I think there's also a lot of people that would be happy and say like this, if anything changed my life and allowed me to pay my bills and it gave me job security and it gave me a health plan and a bunch of other things. Yeah. Like there are people who, as soon as someone fills that job, that tells you, Oh, there was a demand for that job. Mm -hmm. Right. A couple others, Revlon filed for bankruptcy. No way. Yeah. That's Neil's favorite concealer potentially off the market. Uh, Sriracha has called True Tone. <laughs> um, Sriracha, <laughs> uh, the company that makes Sriracha. They, Don't tell me they're falling for bankruptcy. This is no, no, my no. Life here. They no Amazon. No Revlon. Because of the um, like the uh, drought in California, they can't get the peppers they need. So they've oh, actually no. like halted sales until I think September because they're going to stockpile and try to catch up on orders. So. If you are running low on your sriracha in your fridge, this is serious stuff here, guys. Get it now because you may not be able to get it in, in August. It never goes bad because it's literally hot sauce. It's timeless. Hey, also, if you want to make a strong investment, I bet you if you go on right now and you buy like $50,000 in crates of sriracha. The resale market. The resale market big. is going to be nuts. Don't um, quote me on that. but not I Not financial advice. Not financial advice, but... Um, and just kind of finishing uh, a couple other little layoff situations. Uh, so Compass and Redfin, for those of you who are familiar with the American real estate market, they're kind of the, the a brokerage model where they have employees rather than agents for the most part. Yep. Right? So people work there as, as uh, employees under contract. They still go out there and operate as real estate agents, but it's a slightly different model. Well, Redfin just fired 470 people, uh, which is about 8% of their staff. Compass is dropping their... Uh, employees by about 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is like, yeah, there's not enough demand for uh, real estate agents because sales are down that much. So that kind of speaks to the real estate. Coinbase, they cut 18% of their staff. They're obviously very closely connected to the crypto space. Uh, Tesla, talking 10%. So these are major layoffs happening while other expansion plans stop. So the this is going to have a trickle down to Unemployment, and we talked about this before, when unemployment goes up, which is going to happen, it's already started to happen, and yet inflation continues, you have stagflation, which is kind of the worst case scenario we can have for an economy. Exactly. This, and again, not to harp on it, but just to really hone in on the values of these numbers, when companies are laying off 10 to 18%, like that is a huge portion of the workforce, and it's not a big deal when it's like, oh, one company's doing it, but everybody's doing it, and we're just talking about the headline companies that are doing it. There's mm-hmm. millions of companies that are much smaller that will not achieve headlines, but they're doing the same thing because yeah. they service these companies or they are like also in a position of being pinched or getting pinched harder because they're unable to achieve certain types of credit facilities or allow to get public funding. So they need to do even larger layoffs. And when we talk about like the needle moving on unemployment, like if it goes up by a half percent across the board, like that's a huge impact. And these people are dropping 15, 20 percent of the time. 
it's going to it's going to add up to be a fairly serious bump in yeah. the unemployment rate. But this is what has to happen. Like if you genuinely feel like we need to slow things down and slow inflation, this is what has to happen. Because if you want to understand the workings is people get laid off. Yep. Right. And they get laid off on mass and they all enter the job market at the same time. Yep. So what happens to wages? Wages go down. Right. And if wages go down, then companies can start producing more and aggregate mm-hmm. supply increases, which drives prices down. Right. Like, so this is the, you know, monetary policy at work. I'm just saying it stings. Right. So people, it does sting. um, you know, and, and will it actually work? Because it, the, the, um, because there's wage stickiness, right? Wages don't drop that quickly. Just because a bunch of people get laid off and a bunch of people then re-enter the the job market, um, it's it's a, it takes a long time for those wages to drop down and down and down. So that shift, that increase in aggregate supply, um, if there is any, because there's opposing forces, price of oil, price of all these input costs, um, it's going to take a long time to shift that uh, aggregate supply, which yeah. means it's going to take a long time to slow these prices. I think we're, I think the part that bothers a lot of people, and I don't know if they recognize, like, just what Chandler just said, and this is how it works. And this it is, also drops aggregate demand because people don't have a job that can't Exactly. Pay. So it drops demand, which ends up dropping prices. The difficulty that I think is being faced is due to the supply crunches. Sometimes the prices are not coming down. Exactly. Yet, this is the big problem. Exactly. But the wages are remaining. And then ultimately, I think where everyone gets upset is the corporations and a lot of people are taking advantage in situations and still cranking out a large margin, if not larger. And then ultimately, it actually, again, divides the general population further apart. And so we're facing yeah. that on a really high level right now relative to what it's... And I think you see, you've seen this happen in well, other parts of the world and you're seeing it happen now in North America a lot. Like I think in parts of Europe, like you look at like London, like you have your ultras and you have your regulars. Like there's no. Yeah. And and again, like we are building up to conspiracy episode um, and, you know, we're going to do some deep dive research on that because I I really want to do this episode. Mm -hmm. And um, when you have these great resets and if you can, you can even consider the pandemic a bit of a great reset, the income gap, like got worse. Like it didn't, didn't get better. Mm -hmm. Um, So this conception that, or this idea that, um, you know, a great reset is going to somehow um, help the people at the lower end of the income spectrum. I, I just don't believe it because I haven't seen it actually happen in practice. We're targeting all those commenters that like to comment and be like, this is the best thing ever. Screw them. Yeah. Yeah. Like if the first pandemic like really hurt people most at risk, this second, you know, reset could hurt people who are maybe more middle class. Right. So then you really have this polarity. But uh, talk about that in a bit. Thanks for listening up to this point. If you're still here, then definitely press that like, subscribe button. Maybe even leave us a comment on something that you've heard so far. In the second half of this episode, we're going to go into whether or not this is a good time to buy. And in fact, are there some real opportunities as a buyer that you might want to capitalize on right now? And then we're going to look at office, uh, industrial, commercial space, and kind of throw around some ideas about what we feel about those sectors right now uh, in these changing times. You've got some other news, and then we're going to get to our, our topic here, talking about uh, what buyers are up to. No, I actually, I think, let's get into the buyer stuff. Like, I think that's where I spend some time thinking about, and I had some ideas. There's buyers residentially, and then there's buyers commercially, and so I want to touch on both. I got got some other just interesting stuff that I want to highlight yeah. for people, because it's hilarious. Uh, really sad news. Maybe, maybe, BTS is considering breaking up, or at least they were, until the company that owns BTS, their share price dropped 
Uh, 28%. Is that, am I, am I saying this wrong? BTS. The K-pop guys. Oh. This guy. I live under a rock. I, I look at... So BTS is the biggest band in the world, for people like Neil who don't know. Uh, they are a K-pop boy band. Oh, yes. And their music and their their branding, they are effectively owned by a company that's H-Y-B-E. I don't know what that acronym stands for, but that company is worth like $47 billion, mainly because BTS is the biggest band in the world. And they had this little press conference where they effectively said, we're taking a break. We're going to break up for a little bit. We might pursue solo projects, you know, as all boy bands do. And the stock dropped 28%. And so they quickly got the band back together and said, no, 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 we're not breaking up. We're not breaking up. We're not breaking up. But anyway, that's hilarious to me. I'm such a, like, again, I'm always a question of like, what was the play? Why are they doing it just because the boys are tired of each other and they're tired of the grind? Or are they doing this? <laughs> I love that to, you're like, breaking this down. I don't know. To go out and each of them make their own singular value piece, which is going to end up ultimately being worth more. And then when they come back as a group, then it's just like even more insane. So it's like a long-term play of like, <sighs> well, people create all this hype. The, you bring about, because yeah. they, so they're looking at their charts and it's starting to kind of fall off. And like, what else can we do now? We've made all this great music. We've danced a lot. But it, it's getting to the point where we can only put so much of that out. We got to change it up. So we're going to claim that we're falling apart. Now we're the headlines of the news for the rest of the next two months. And Maybe so everyone's going to pay attention. That, They're going to fall in love with each backfired. individually. In a few years, everyone's like, "Oh, you remember BTS? Like that was I love when they were together." Then they're going to do a reunion. Man, and how did come that back work together? In sync. How did that work for the Backstreet Boys? It doesn't <laughs> seem to work. No, it doesn't seem to work um, so good. Just a thought. The other, everything. Another funny one that I had was uh, have to take all of his posters down. <laughs> Just while I cry. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, there was a, a property in New York that was listed and was going to be sold in Bitcoin, and mm. the conversion price, like it was, hey, we're we're accepting Bitcoin coin as payment, and what they were going to get was an NFT to uh, exclusively use the space as part of this. Yeah. Uh, and it was listed at twenty nine million. Yeah. And then Bitcoin has gotten hammered. So the effective price now is 16.8 million. And the seller was like, uh, yeah, scratch all that Bitcoin stuff. I'm just going to list it in dollars. I would like USD, please. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of funny for uh, the, the crypto fans out there. Uh, also in New York, a son, an estranged son is suing his mother, who is... 84 what are your news sources? Old. What are your news sources before we get into this one? I like the internet, bro. What are you? Now, this is New York Post. Uh, he's suing his 84-year-old mother for being a crappy landlord. No, I've heard about this kind of stuff before. And but but it's a bit more nuanced than that. So he stands to inherit this collection of properties. And uh, his mother um, has a bad reputation as landlord. She's made New York, like New York does this list where it says 50 worst landlords, and she's been on it before. Um, but he's suing her because he alleges that she has mismanaged the property. She has like something like 400 citations active on the various properties throughout New York and it's damaging his inheritance effectively. So he's suing her for, I think some sort of performance where she either has to rectify these damages or, uh, transfer the properties to him sooner so that he can, you know, cause he's saying now his, is the purpose of the law that you can use it towards like family and marital issues i guess it gets used in marital issues so why wouldn't you be able to use it in family well, there's issues? such a thing called family law but that this is real estate law right like he's he's alleging that that's what i mean like yeah. non, non-family non law like is that is, is some of those rules written with the intent that you can use them towards a family member because the odd thing is is the outcome impacts you eventually at some point man people people sue over estates and inheritance and all that stuff all the time 
Yes, that one, that one, I guess, makes sense. It's more so like the expectation of like, could I sue my mom? My mom goes and buys a new car, and I'm like, bro, you're killing my inheritance. I'm going after you for this. Well, there was one where these uh, parents sued. This was over, where was it? Somewhere over in Asia. These parents sued their kid because he didn't have kids. And, like, they said, that, you know, they'd invested all this money in him. You know, they won't have for grandkids. For all of the Asian and, like, I'm for I don't even want to say because I'm going to get in trouble. But just all the people that I would say are from overseas, you will get that out there because you know your parents were thinking about suing you <laughs> for, for not becoming a doctor. How dare you disappoint me. For not becoming a doctor and not immediately having three kids and or potentially doing an arranged marriage. I know, I know there's people out there listening. I'm going through the lawsuit myself. <laughs> oh no, my gosh. But that one, that one I could totally see happening. I know your mom is very proud of you, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's uh, some fun news. Let's get into our main topic here because, um, I don't know. We're taking a lot of heat. What to do? What's happening? We're pump- We're out here saying we're pumping the brakes. And then I have buyers messaging me being like, yo, bro, you told me to buy this house. And you're saying pump the brakes. So, Man, I think there's a big difference between investment property buying that is reliant on um, lift versus um, investment versus just buying investment. a single family residential home to live in. Yeah. And there have been a few instances where homes that I think have that intrinsic value. We've talked about this, about how to protect yourself when you're buying in, in a slightly overheated market. Uh, what constitutes a, a savvy, sound purchase um, to protect the value in the to, home to, to that you're buying. To protect the value. Uh, and often it has to do with location and intangibles. But I've seen these instances where a home has all these things and buyers have s- sort of pulled their punch and either missed out on what could have been a really smoking deal yep. um, or all of the buyers collectively miss out on it and the seller just pulls the home off the market. Yep. Um, which I spoke about when I did a little clip about like some sellers just will not sell their home for less than they feel it is worth. And that'll further contract supply. Um, So I don't know. I'm going to get criticized for this because this people are going to think this is me pumping energy back into the market. But I do think that buyers need some context, really understand rate histories and you know what these rates are because 3.9 is very strong. Um, But also (laughs) realize like, you know, that's strong, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but also think about why you're making this purchase and what the real this opportunity is cost it. is, right? Because why are you buying? Yeah. Like, is, is the alternative that you rent for another year? Well, I don't know that that's necessarily the better alternative. Or is it that you stay in your parents' basement for a year? Again, I don't know that that's the better alternative. Maybe it is. I'm not, I'm not judging at all. But there are some really good opportunities out there at really fair historically rates. I don't know why, like if, if I told you, not, not, I know you're about to get something here, but if I told you, um, you know, in any time over the last decade, if I said you could get a rate of 3.9% and purchase a property for 10% less than the same property sold for six months ago, would you think that's a solid pickup? That's not a bad pickup line if you hit me with that in the bar, but it would be the, the concerning issue I think for people is that they're like, but if I wait another six months, can I get another 10% yep. off yep. now to, to just go back to your original point is what is your motivation? Like I have a client that we just did a deal yesterday and it's simply because she's like, I've been kicked out three times in the last three years and no one will sign anything but a fixed term lease. And my rent yep. keeps going up. I'm going to buy this condo 
because it's going to work out to be about the same cost as my rent. Yeah. And I never have to think about getting booted out again. Yep. And I was like, you know what? I, I totally respect that. She goes, I understand that there might be an opportunity for me to save another five points if I wait six months. There might not, though. She's like, I might also go up. So I'm going to go in now while I still feel comfortable with the rates and I'm going to get something locked in and I'm happy and I can, these numbers make sense to me right now. Also, let's go and going back to that rate that you were talking about. Like, what are the conditions of it? How long could they hold that rate right now? Are they holding it for 120 days? I kind of doubt it. Mm, it's maybe a 90 day, 60, 90 maybe days, 60. Yeah. Um, there's some lenders out there that are only offering 15 day rate holds. So again, six months from now, maybe you save a bit on the purchase price. Maybe you don't, but maybe yep. you do. Um, but if your interest rate is just that much higher because you've passed on this pretty darn good rate hold, mm-hmm. you may, again, work out less. And in the meantime, you've just spent more money on um, rent and all these other things. So, yeah, I'm going to say my take on a single family. So that's where Chandler's at. I totally agree 100%. Um, not to be just bumping each other's tires because we disagree on lots of things. But the other thing that I think a lot of people need to consider is, yes, a home is your greatest asset. But in a lot of ways, your actual residence is not necessarily an asset because there's maintenance costs, because there's tax, there's insurance, there is the interest cost. And so you need to boil that out. But when you boil that out, you need to look at what the equivalent would be for you to pay in rent. So if you're paying, like Chandler was saying, $2,400 a month right now in rent, which is not outrageous if you're renting a townhome or another house or a decent sized unit anywhere, like honestly. Um, And you go, wow, that actually allows me enough to buy a single family home. Uh, When you boil out all that expense, it's probably going to be less. Yes, if you include your full mortgage payment, it might be around the same or even a little bit more. But again, taking into account that you are paying down a principal value on that. Um, and in all those things, you are including, like I said, a full maintenance budget and everything there. So I think the motivation, when you consider it, needs to be kind of, you need to reflect on that item. And yes, there might be a little bit of price reduction potentially, but there might not be because again, because there's in, in inventory issues. And additionally, if the home fits all of your requirements, at the end of the day, like that is a big, big point. Like there's not so many homes out there that you can just keep finding houses that fit all of your your demands and requirements. So it's for single family. I think it's really a motivation based item. Like how badly are you specifically needing it? Is it a family thing? You're growing your family. You don't want to get booted out of your rental anymore. I think like Jenna's saying, buyers might be being a little bit greedy and saying like, Oh, I think if I wait out, there's another opportunity on the horizon. If you don't need the house or you're comfortable to maybe not be end up getting a house. We're not saying don't be selective. I'm absolutely say be selective. Yeah. But then when something comes and ticks all the boxes and you know your numbers, I don't understand like what other than, um, you know, this this broad narrative, like I don't understand what the the holdup would be. Yeah, I, I, I get it. And the other thing is approvals are changing. So that's a big one too. People's, um, the banks are stress testing like higher, obviously, because oh, they have to. Yeah. Uh, and they're being a little more hesitant to yeah. lend out, and they're maybe being a little more um, diligent in the way that they look at your your profile and some of the other things that you own. Um, so uh, I just think it's a good time to check in with your broker and say, "What is my rate? The best rate I can get? What is my payment?" And decide from that. Don't listen as much to all of this noise out there, but check in on your numbers, decide how you feel about that, and then see if you can happen to find a great house, you know, for fair value with that. Those and numbers. outside of everything that's going on in the economy and the rates and all that, the summertime can be a great time to buy. It's, mm-hmm. It sucks because it's mm-hmm. your summertime and you want to be chilling and you don't want to spend necessarily two, three weeks going through all this crap and having to do all these meetings and missing your evenings because you're going to the bank and you're going to inspections and all that. But there's also a lot of people that aren't doing that. And so it means there's a lot less tra- traffic in the market. And so you might be able to squeak into something that for no other reason than it was the most beautiful weekend of the year. 
and get into that. So if the money is a concern and you want to get a good deal or like you're afraid about missing out on a property, being able to kind of bite the bullet and spend some time in your summer going out and looking at homes, you might be able to get into something again for no other reason than the market's a little slower because the weather's really nice. It's also kind of irony and, and this shows the how emotion plays so much into it. Think of how keen people were to buy when it was a competitive situation. Mm-hmm. And now when it's not as competitive, they're not as keen to buy. It's the best time to buy. Right? And, and of course, there's all kinds of reasons, rates and, and all that. However, it also just shows the human emotional element of it. And maybe you need to take a step back and be a bit more savvy and say, okay, if I'm, I'm being more rational and looking at things, maybe... Uh, it was a bit irrational to try to buy when everyone else was buying and that trying to buy when other people aren't could be the kind of contrarian opportunity. It's like buskers, man. It's like buskers. When you see a busker and there's like one person standing there, you're probably just going to browse, like look at it and go by. But if there's a busker standing there and there's 25 people standing around him, you're like, oh, I got to go. Yeah. I got to see what this is. And it's the same with the houses. Like, oh, well, everyone's buying right now. I got to buy. Right. Yeah. But really, if you think about it, being on the contrarian side can have a lot of benefits. Right. There is general ideas like market sentiments that you should follow. And like there's there's opportunities that go with the full movement of the market. But I think also having some some foresight, you can like you're saying, what we're both saying, there, there's deals that can be had. You've got to be diligent. A great realtor can help you make sure that you're making a good decision and you're not just buying. <laughs> but this is this is the time. Yeah. Um, investment properties. What are you saying to people that are like, I'm trying to make sure I'm because that's when numbers, it's all numbers. Yeah. It doesn't matter then. The other stuff, there's still a ton of things you need to take into account, but it's really heavy on the numbers. Even I've the location's great and it's overpriced, really, it's not good. I've seen some real stickiness on the prices of investment properties. I know you and I talked about how people have come back and be like, uh, actually, we'll take that uh, 1.8 million now. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's yeah, not available anymore. Like, But generally speaking, especially on the small scale multis, I haven't seen sellers really move their price that much. No. And I think that's, I think a lot of the sellers that came out of the woodwork um, are investors that bought and have seen cycles before, saw that we were coming to the top of a cycle and we're trying to capitalize on that. Um, But I think there was so many that waited until it was too late. Very classic situation. The second the first rate hike came out, I feel like I had so many investors called to sell and I was like, it's too late, man. Like now that you're doing this, mm-hmm. everybody's going to be doing this. A few squeaked out just in time and yeah. now they're all dumping onto market yeah. and they're all seeing it. And so now, now that I feel like there's this big push, but they all came to it with a number in their head. And like, well, I got an appraisal yeah. and I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. unfortunately that appraisal was, was 200 basis points ago and this is an investment property and it's based on income. Yeah. This is no longer worth that. And so you can't squeeze that dollar value. And they always feel like, well, I can just rent it then. Exactly. And, and so they, they're less likely to get into this distressed sale position, which is, you know, in some cases might happen on the residential side. Yeah. But I think as where I think you'll see the deals there is as time goes on and some of them start to face renewals at these higher rates. So a lot of them now, like we said, 75% of money is out there at lower than current rates. As these people start to renew at these higher rates, there's a rent cap in place that they couldn't increase their rents. Mm-hmm. All the other expenses, like we've talked about a hundred times, are up through the roof. They might get forced into a sale, even if they yeah. only owe a small amount of money, or they might say, "You know what? I'm making little to no cash flow at this point. I'd rather take my five hundred grand." Yeah, and, they, and they've realized that hey, being a landlord's actually hard work, and you know, it's not worth it for five hundred bucks a month. Exactly. Um, and again, as a buyer, it's like okay, uh, as rates go up and 
um, you know, my cost of living goes up. Maybe now I visit this idea of having a second unit in, mm-hmm. in, in my space, right? And when those prices of investment properties come down a little bit, uh, and, and maybe that's started, um, you know, maybe now that's a, another really good opportunity where it's like, wow, like I never thought about this before because I assumed it would be out of my reach, but now it's kind of in my reach. And if I'm really trying to be conservative and think about my cash flow, having a second source of income here in the basement, um, this may be the smartest and best thing to ever happen to me. And it stumbled into my lap. You don't want to be the buyer who's like, yeah, I didn't really look into that because everyone else was saying it's not a good time to buy. It's like, yeah. oh, maybe, maybe keep your options open here because there could be some really good options. What are your thoughts on commercial spacing? Man, I think I saw that Burnside was 2% vacancy. That's industrial or whatever, but like, industrial, that's crazy. So industrial, I'm seeing a lot of plays take place all over the country. And a lot oh, of the man. industrial REITs are making yeah. big moves to acquire Ooh. a lot of space. They're partnering to acquire a lot of space. What's your thought there? Do you think that that's, like, we had this huge shortage of warehousing, and this was this giant shift online, and now everyone's talking about how the online shift might be slowing down. Do you think some of them are going to get caught holding the bag? I was concerned about that a little bit because I know some people that are like super bullish on industrial and I sort of assumed, well, as industry like slows down a lot. um, Industry, industrial. (laughs) Yeah. Like doesn't that really run some high risk because people with respect to commercial and, and industrial, when you have a tenant, it is amazing. When you don't have a tenant, it is hell. Like Mm -hmm. you could sit that thing vacant for over a year. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you make bank when it's occupied but in a recession where you can't fill a space, yep, we're talking major, major difference in cash flow. Uh, now some of the leases are phenomenal; they're five, they're ten years. They've That's got a, massive oh. penalty. Like you know, some of them are f- just awesome. But I would be super cautious and, and put so much stock in the lease terms. Looking at commercial and industrial, but even if, the, if the company goes belly up, it doesn't matter what your lease terms are. You ain't getting I that suppose, rent. I suppose. And a lot of these industrial buildings are single tenant. Oh my God. They In are Burnside, like probably 80%. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of them. A lot of them. Now. And they're massive single tenants, like yeah. you're saying. But, you know, they do need storage. And the, the in theory, if they're needing storage now and the supply is contracted, mm-hmm. if supply gets back to where we hope it's going to be, they're going to need even more storage. Yeah. Right. Because the problem right now is everyone's saying we can't get the stuff. We can't get the materials and they're still clamoring for industrial space. Well, what happens when they can get the stuff? They're really going to need some space. Um, You know, it's just it's if as we're seeing with other things, stuff that's hot, hot, hot for so long, at some point it cools down. Um, Always. Always. I I don't know which I'm more concerned about industrial or or commercial, because if you're uh, a a tech company that just leased out, I don't know, 20,000 square feet. And all of a sudden you're like, Hmm, we're from corporates coming down that, uh, we're laying off 15% of our staff. Why the heck do we need this 20,000 square feet? Next question was going to be office space. I mean, also uh, I want to point out, and if you're, if you're still here, I have a bunch of reasons on things that you should be buying kind of a list of what I would suggest is recession proof things to look for in commercial real estate things to look for in residential real estate. And we'll talk about those. We're going to do a Patreon episode on it. Um, that'll be coming out very soon. A bunch of you guys messaged us asking, where's the Patreon at? We're trying to get a backlog of videos for you guys. So you're not paying to hop into a site that only has one video and then you're waiting on us. Yeah. There's only so many vi- videos of Neil's feet that like 
Exactly. Until you get saturated. This is, it's, it's my, <laughs> no pun <laughs> Oh, gee, DM me directly for that. That's a separate Patreon. Um, also known as OnlyFans. Um, <sighs> but no, in all seriousness, we will have a all of those things laid out on what we think is a smart investment. Again, we're not, nothing's a guarantee, but we're saying like yeah. these are ones that we think are good in the commercial space, in the multifamily space. So here we're going to talk about some of the negative items. Um, and so, sorry, Chandler, I cut you off. But office no, no, space, I mean, like, where I'm, are you at with office? I'm, it's already 30% vacant probably in Halifax and probably Alberta. I've heard Toronto office space is full. The only thing is like there's going to be a reduction in new office space construction. And in fact, there's going to be some conversions. So I feel... They're, they're going to have some supply issues in the office space and in, in, in office uh, space sector, same way as they have in the industrial. But personally, there's a reason I have been wary of touching even a little bit of commercial because those vacancies, man, they are a killer. Yeah. Again, when you have the tenant, you know, you're printing money and it's all great and blah, blah, blah. When you don't, I mean, you talk about carrying costs, man. Like those are not small. And we come from an area where commercial isn't super strong. And I think a lot of people that talk very uh, advantageously of commercial and office spaces and industrial spaces come from massive booming centers. Mm-hmm. I know anyone in our Ontario markets, anyone who listens from Ontario, you probably all have heard from your colleagues of someone who owns industrial and has done amazingly well, who owns office and has done amazingly well. Those do really well in that city because it's growing so fast. And so that the percentage available to that size of a population is quite low. But in a place like here where it's had industrial booms and we've ended up building it out and then it shrinks back, like we lost oil and gas, that shrinks back the demand for it so quickly. And we ultimately face it so fast that it pushes this negative pressure, like you're saying, where then you go empty on these single tenant spaces or in an office spaces, you lose entire floors. That's where I think the hesitancy might be coming from. What do you think about industrial? Well, so that's the one that's sexy right now here locally because they're sitting at like 2% vacancy in our major industrial park, which I think is the biggest industrial park east of Montreal. East of like, Montreal, north of Boston. Realistically, there's nothing else between here and there that would yeah. would, would set foot on us. I think our, our once we finish phase one and phase two of this expansion, we might actually be a bit more of a real player in the industrial park land. But it, it is by no means a joke at this point now. Um, I love the industrial idea. I think long term it's going to play out really well, but I do think in the short term, this is a it's a snap two kind of thing where there's so many big industrial players that are building massive warehouses right now. That's it's prime space, and just like anything, new product has tech that people are expecting now. It has pre-built office spaces in it. It has certain height requirements that are requi- that are being built into it, and so the old product seems so much cheaper. But there's a reason you're not mm-hmm. going to get you can't. It's not as simple for you to go in there, spray paint it, and get those up-to-date rent rates because if you buy it and it only has 18-foot clear height, it's not going to compare to a 25-foot clear height in the mm-hmm. brand-new building. Like, yeah. you just can't, and then you have to cut the whole, you might as well build a new warehouse, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm bullish in some sense, but you got to have some bank hole to back it up, or you, you need to make sure, you, like you said, you have good tenants that you think are recession-proof. And again, that's what we want to talk about is what's a tenant that's recession-proof because you're getting into something that if it's a luxury-based item or something that some people don't need and they're renting your space which a lot of times those are the ones that will quickly sign a lease and they'll sign any terms Mm -hmm. because their business is booming. Well, when this all turns down and they start to see less demand and they're a newer business, you're going to face, you're going to be holding the bag, right? Yeah. And and any of these big guys, the big leasehold guys that are like big companies that you know they're going to weather the recession, they're signing onto those new new warehouses. They're not going to be buying, renting for you in that old product. That's the other thing that concerns me about our one here is that there seems to be a couple big players who are continually expanding um, and then there's going to be so much new product that, 
I don't know, like you're swimming with some big fish and if they want to undercut you and they've got a better space and they've got the ability to eat some losses that you just don't like, I, I worry about that a bit. It's, it's a heavily based big player read style industry and that can carry those losses. You, I think less frequently in, in a town like this, see private landlords, unless they have other big businesses that can float the empty spaces they when can, they need and to. And they can owner occupy for a while. Or until they, they can owner occupy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm back and forth. Office is an interesting one. I wish you could do, I mean, maybe you can do mixed use. Like I'd love to buy office and say, okay, there's six floors that are empty. We'll do condos in those. You can uh, definitely do that. I, I'm sure, but I feel project, like it, but it'd be a big that. project. Yeah. It'd be a permanent nightmare, I think. And I also believe that the construction would be really hard on the head for a lot of people where you have occupied office space in there at the same time. And I think you might lose some tenants and ultimately it would become kind of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think these mixed use buildings are becoming more common in other cities. I think I'd like to see some of that happen here, but we don't have big towers either. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyways, I think this is a quick overview. Again, we're going to talk about what we think is like the best way to be buying right now. And we're going to do that in a Patreon episode. We're going to talk about some of the best commercial stuff we think we're seeing out there and how we think you can hedge your bets against a potential recession that we might be facing. I guess we're technically already in it um, and where where things are going. So thanks again for listening. I hope this episode was kind of helpful. Um, We've gotten a lot of questions about if we should be buying or not. So we're trying to cover all of that. Like Chandler always says, hit that subscribe thing. You guys have been doing it. So appreciate that continue with the support and you guys have been stopping us in the street and saying hi and honestly that really pumps us up it, yeah man it, it means cool. a lot to know that people are listening like i mean yeah. we see the numbers on the screen but it's the internet it's hard to tell what that really means so when you guys come up and say hey man i love your content it means the world it gives us a ton of fire and it brings us back in here to keep doing this so thanks again for listening that's right thank you for tuning in for this episode don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use and if you're on apple Podcasts or spotify give us a rating and send us some feedback we'd love to hear from you you can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.